Jeremiah chapter 17 in your Old Testament there. Find Jeremiah. And I want to talk to you about uh, there's a heart. There's a surgery. There's several surgeries in the Bible. First surgery. You might remember where the first surgery is in the Bible. In Genesis. And uh, God removed a rib from from Adam and made a woman. And um, uh, there's several surgeries in the Bible. This one we're going to be looking at in, this morning. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we won't go there, will we? Gallbladders are bad news. All right, but uh, ribs are okay. Jeremiah chapter 17. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about Lydia's open heart surgery. Uh, right in the Bible. Didn't know there was open heart surgery in the Bible. There is. Jeremiah 17, 9. Let's look at some background. The heart is, what's that next word? Deceitful. It'll trick you. It'll lie to you. Your own heart, you say, well, I'll trust my heart. You know, do you realize what you just said? Even our own heart will lie to us. And it's deceitful above all things. And it is desperately wicked. That's our heart. Who can know it? Now, talk about humanly, but look at verse 10. I, the Lord, I search the heart. I try the reins. Now, the reins are like when you get on a horse and, and you test out. And you can pull this way and the horse goes this way or the horse rebels or whatever. The Lord pulls on us to find out what's in our heart. You ever wonder why? Sometimes you go through that trial or you go through that 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 uh, valley in your life or that disaster, whatever. The Lord's trying to find out, is your eyes on him or on something else? He says, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways. I'm going to reward you or there's going to be judgment according to the fruit of his doing. So there's a problem in our hearts and we all, we all know it. We just don't admit it. That's the truth. So. Let's go to Acts chapter 16, where we've been going verse by verse through the gospel of Acts chapter 16. And we'll pick up in verse 9. And last week, Paul heard a cry for help from a Macedonian man, a man about 200 kilometers away in Macedonia. Acts chapter 16, we'll pick it up in verse 9, read it again in a vision. Appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, begged him, saying, Come over and into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to, to Salmon, uh, Salmathracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, remember that name, Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and that's a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. So they hear that cry from a man over Macedonia, and they get on a boat and they travel 200 kilometers. That's a bit of a distance. I'm not sure comparative. That's halfway, three quarters of the way to Dublin. And uh, uh, he's over in a place called Troas, right on the edge of, this is modern day Turkey. And he's going to cross right over the Aegean Sea and go into Macedonia. And there's a town called Philippi there that he ends up at. Uh, and um, uh, this city, Philippi, is kind of a special. There's a book in the New Testament. It's one of the most joyful books in the New Testament. What's it called? Philippians. <laughs> Paul loves Philippi. He loves the Christians at, at, at Philippi. And uh, uh, he writes one of the most joyful books in the entire New Testament there. So they've arrived over in what we call modern-day Greece, and he starts looking for somebody. Do you remember who he's looking for? 
for that man of Macedonia. He's wondering, where is this guy? And they have no idea. How do you go looking for a man? Can you imagine going into court when there's a parade on, when something's going on and say, I got to find one person. I mean, it'd be insane. Well, he knows the Lord will direct his steps. If you start to believe that God will direct your steps to the right person at the right time, all of a sudden you'll see doors opening and you giving the gospel everywhere. It's amazing. But he's going to go and look for this Macedonian man. So it's the Sabbath. We pick up in verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was want needful to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. Did he find a Macedonian man yet? No, but he finds some women. All right. It's the Sabbath. Okay. And this, this is, um, that's the Saturday. And they're in a Gentile world now. There, there are no synagogues in Philippi. There's no, no Jews for them to talk to like they were used to. Every other city they went in, they always went to the synagogue first. And then they would start talking to people in the marketplace. But there's no synagogues there. There's no other believers there. They're in a foreign land full of foreign cultures. They have limited money. There's so many unknowns. And so they're walking alongside the river and they felt the need to pray. Look at that verse again in uh, uh, verse uh, Verse 13, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was want, was needful. They were being driven to make prayer, to have some time of prayer. They didn't know why they needed to pray, and we'll see why in just a few minutes. But something came over them, and he says, we need to pray. Uh, do you ever feel that need? Do you ever just go through the day, and everything's going fine, and all of a sudden, and you just feel like, boy, something's wrong. Sometimes if you're mom, you go looking for the kids, all right? Say, is everybody all right, you know? But when you have that sense, realize that's a, that's a good thing. It's time to pray when there's a, 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 a darkness, like, a, like a, 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 a grayness, something come across. And they says, we need to pray. And so now all of a sudden there's some women there. And um, uh, let me get you up with myself. And they start to speak to them. Now, women, when they're by the river, they're probably doing what most women have done up until the 1950s, 1960s. They were washing clothes. Uh, you know how much time it takes to take care of a house. Um, but in those days, I mean, it was an all-day job. Everything you had to do, uh, the guys were out in the, the farms, and the women were gathering water, and they were washing clothes. stuff. So here are these women there. And Paul could have just ignored them. Remember, he's looking for a Macedonian man. Why would he talk to women? Well, Paul never missed an opportunity. Neither did Jesus. Jesus, when he's walking through Samaria, who does he meet? A Samaritan woman. And he sat down, sat down with her and led her to faith, didn't he? So you never miss an opportunity. Even though you may be looking for one person, there's always people to talk to along the way. So they begin to talk to those women and he they told them a story. History is the telling of what happened in the past, isn't it? That's what history is. And we hear stories of world events all the time. It's part of history. But our world needs to hear the greatest story ever. Don't need to hear it from Hollywood. The world needs to hear it from us. There's a song there that we sing. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. And the hymn goes on and it says, 
Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth. Glory to God in the highest, peace and good tidings on earth. What's that song about? It's telling the story, isn't it? And the, the hymn goes on. It says, tell of the cross where they laid him, where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story is so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper that love paid a ransom for me. These men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, meet these women. And what are you going to talk about? Now, if they were Irish, we talk about the weather. All right. If you're English, you talk about British politics. But if you're Christian, you talk, you tell the story of Jesus. Folks, don't ever forget, our job is to tell the story. People are not reading their Bibles anymore. People don't have Bibles. If they do, it's a Bible they got when they were nine years old, 10 years old, whenever they got their confirmation. They have never read, and they need to hear the story. Tell the story of Jesus. Don't act, don't act like you have all the answers. Don't even try to have all the answers. Your job is not to have all the answers. Your job is not to have a perfect life either. Don't wait until you have every duck in a row, every I dotted, every T crossed. Just tell the story about a savior, the son of God who came to save a wretch like you. They meet a woman named Lydia, verse 14 now. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. And here's our heart surgery. Look at this. Whose heart the Lord opened. Isn't that marvelous? that she attended under the things which were spoken of by Paul. She was a wealthy woman here. It's very, purple is a very expensive color to, to own and to wear throughout most of history. We were at, uh, we took the, uh, the Demelios to Care Castle. And while we're walking around in there, uh, this guy, this, we had a great um, tour guide. And he was, he was very funny and very informative. And he told me something I had never heard. We've been there probably 10 times. And he told me something I didn't know. They talked about the dungeon, who ended up in, dun in the dungeon. And one of the reasons why you would end up in that dungeon is if you wore purple. It was a crime to wear purple. And it's just like freaked me out. I said, well, why is that? Because that was only for royalty and wealthy people. And if you weren't one of them, you weren't allowed to act like one of them. And so they kept you under. They were, you were never allowed to wear, you know, bright, beautiful clothes. And I thought, wow, that's terrible. But here's a woman who is making part of a textile industry that makes the color purple. And it was, it was uh, a very complicated thing. This stuff comes from the glands of a rotting shellfish. And so you have to extract it from the shellfish and you have to let it rot before you squeeze out, am I getting very descriptive here? Squeeze out the glands into a, a jar and then you have to boil it and then you put your cloth in it and dye it. And it was a ton of work. And so she gets to sell it, she's making money. She's a very wealthy woman. Uh, I mean, just think of the richness of that color. I mean, when you, as a matter of fact, uh, ladies would choose between, am I going to wear purple today or am I going to wear my gold? And sometimes they wear both, but wearing purple was as, as, as valuable as wearing gold. Uh, she's from a place called Thyatira, which is kind of funny because they've crossed over from um, 
what's called Galatia, where Thyatira is, and they come to Philippi and they meet somebody from where they just left. And so still no Macedonian man. And she is a Gentile. She's not a Jewess. She, she, uh, she, they expect her to be pagan, and yet she has been influenced by somebody, maybe back over there in her homeland. Somebody taught her about the God of the Bible, taught her to fear God, but she didn't personally know him. And that's, listen, that's where we are today, folks. There are, there are too many people that know about God, but they don't know him personally. This woman, he did not need to leave her alone. As a matter of fact, she was one of the most right on the edge, needy people in that audience that Paul and Silas and Timothy were talking to. She needed heart surgery. Uh, I, had a, <clears throat> I had a pinched nerve in my neck, but I didn't know that it was a pinched nerve. I just knew that my left arm was going numb. So Nita, this was back years ago. So Nita takes me to the hospital and I sit down expecting I'm going to wait there eight hours like everybody else. Well, about three minutes later, door opens, Craig Ledbetter, and I'm pushed right in ahead of all those other people. You're talking about holding your head low, you know. I just got here, and because it was an issue with my heart, they put me right up at the front. You see what I'm saying? Because that's serious. Now, they came to find out there was a pinched nerve, and it made me go, but so, so, so I'm still here. And my, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. No. I, I just was amazed at how the importance of the heart, any kind of heart problem, you go right to the front. And this woman, because of a need in her heart, she gets all the attention, folks. She, um, uh, she gets open heart surgeries. Read there in verse 14 again, a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple. She's wealthy. She could have anything she wants. She's an independent woman. She doesn't have, evidently, there's no husband here at this point. She's got um, servants you're going to see. She's got everything you could ask for except a relationship with Jesus. It says she was uh, from the city of Thyatira, which she worshiped God like Cornelius did. Again, just because you worship God and you come to church doesn't make it so that you're going to heaven when you die. And I wish people knew that. Uh, Bill and I were out yesterday, and most everybody we talked to, their idea is, I'm not a bad person. I'm okay. I go to church. That doesn't do anything for your sin and the record that God has that he has to judge. Verse 15. So he says, verse 14 goes, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. We're going to come to that verse in a minute. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Something happened. Something happened. From one moment, she's just hearing to the next moment, she can't get enough. She says, stay. What do I need to do? And her whole house gets baptized. They all are having their first church service. Now, let me go back there and just talk a minute further. It all began with hearing the word of God. Did you notice that? It all began with hearing an unpleasant message. What is the gospel? You're in trouble. That's the good news. <laughs> it starts with the bad news and then says, goes to the next step, which says, and you can't fix it. You're, it's like saying you've got heart trouble and you're going to die and you can change your diet. It's still not going to fix it. You can take these drugs. It's still going to fix it. You need heart surgery. That's what she's hearing. But then she hears the other side. And that is there's a savior who can step in and can fix that heart, can wash away the sin. What a wonderful message we preach. We don't preach be a good little boy, be a good little girl. Make sure you get baptized next week and then the week after. 
Make sure you put money in the box and God will see. Make sure that you always are happy. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is that Christ died for sinners and was buried and rose again, victorious over death. If you'll just trust him, he'll give you eternal life. That's the gospel. And she's hearing Paul preach that. She'd never heard the story of Jesus. It is, it is beyond her. But what does the Bible say in Romans 10, 17? Faith cometh by hearing. And what do we need to hear? Hearing by the word of God. You know, when we hear these words in this Bible, that's the only way we come to become aware of, I need to repent. I, I'm lost. I, it took me, I mean, you didn't have to convince me I was a sinner, but I didn't think I was bad, that bad of a sinner until the pastor when I started going to church at the age of 17, that guy knew my life. He's telling on me. I mean, it was like, I, I, I don't know, but uh, I'll use this example. There was a time when Bill and Geraldine started coming to church and they says, were you in our house last night? <laughs> and I, man, all I know is this book's right and goes right down the line and can expose us for who we are because it's real. God knows you. So here, she hears him preach, and it, it, it just does something to her heart, whose heart the Lord opened. I love that. All of mankind need this kind of heart surgery. We want people to have open minds. Bill and I going out soul winning yesterday. We want people to have open minds. We want to be able to consider all the evidence. But faith does not need, does not come from the mind only. Doesn't come from all the understanding. I, at 17, as I heard the preaching of the gospel, I didn't get saved the first Sunday. I came back the next Sunday and then the next. And it finally, just like a hammer breaking at the hardness of my heart, finally got to the quick, got to where it hurt. And faith doesn't understand it all, but we trust it. And faith comes from an open heart. I've known that I've been able to convince people mentally of something, but if I don't change, if I don't convince their heart, they'll never change. If your heart's not in it, it's a dead end. Lydia needed the best surgeon in the universe. She did not need a priest. She didn't need a, um, uh, a ritual. She didn't need um, some special hocus pocus. She needed the maker of her heart to step into her heart. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if any man hears my voice, and again, it's an Irish door. There's no handle on the outside. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You need to let him in, folks. Her life was at stake and she knew she couldn't fix her heart towards God. You know, uh, we, we, uh, we have problems with, with our outside we have problems with our health we have problems with our finances we have problems with with our house maintenance all the things that we want to get fixed are dead end god seeks to fix our heart don't worry about your hands don't worry about your feet don't worry about your cigarettes don't worry about the uh the uh, the porn don't worry about all those things are not what you need to fix you know what you need to fix your heart because you may be needing God to fix your anger. You may be needing God to fix your depression. You may, but those are symptoms of what? A heart problem. So as she listened, God opened her heart. What does it mean? He unblocked it. He pulled it and made it so it was open to surgery. It was open. I mean, 
good night. Some of the some of the men in this church have had open heart surgery and heart surgeries where they've cracked open that incredible thing called a sternum and pulled it open and got at that heart and did the work. And most of them are the better for it. Not all of them, but most of them are the better for it. And God unblocked her heart. God opened it, cleared it out as she listened to that preaching. You say, I don't need to be in church. Yes, you do, because this book clears out the hardness of our heart. Softened her heart, made it ready to believe. There are four types of hearts, Jesus is like four soils. The, the wayside, the footpath type that's just as hard, will not receive the word of God. Then you have the thorny ground and the, the stony ground. But then he talks about the good heart. How do you get a good heart? By letting the word of God keep hammering away and you're going, ouch, 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 until it gets down to where it can change. And it's open and the heart is soft. Take your Bible, turn to Hebrews 4. You're in Acts, but go to the right, turn to Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. I like that. Uh, you ever had something... And uh, you, you say, somebody, get it over quick. <laughs> you know, you just, just fix it quick. Well, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What would we call it? A scalpel. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, cutting apart the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it, it the word of God, is a discerner an exposer of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God, man, the God who made your heart the first day can fix it now. If only we'd let him. Your best friend cannot fix it. If you have a hard, bitter heart, I don't care what you do, you can't fix it, folks. You may say, I'm not going to be angry today. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get angry today. <laughs> You need somebody to fix it. That's the truth. And according to Ezekiel 36, oh, let me take you there because it's too good a verse. Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to just before Matthew. You'll find Ezekiel chapter 30. Which one is it? Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 28. Here's 36. Here's the new birth in the Old Testament. What does God promise? He promises a new heart also will I give you. Can you earn it? No, it's a gift. But you got to want it. You know, what I find is people don't want it. They want an updated car. They want a better house. They want, they want everything else except a new heart. Look what it says. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. Hmm. Lydia got a whole new heart and you can too it's available today you know you think about what's wrong with the heart why did, why did she need that heart fixed well because there's envy in the heart I mean I'm sure you've seen one of your neighbors pull up in a 22 2 car now <laughs> I mean those three twos on the back of their vehicle reg plate just makes you go that's envy. 
That's covetousness. It's like, ah, and you're just like, mine's still at 2007. <laughs> Envy's in our heart. Lust is in our heart. I mean, folks, you don't have to go very far before all of a sudden you are in chin deep into pornography, into, it's just this world is programmed to bring out of the heart what has been there all along that we didn't even know. Deceit, we're liars. Hatred's in our heart. All you have to do is cross me once and I'll hate you for your life, right? That's in us. Pride, hater of God, thefts, adultery, complaining. That's all in our heart. She attended to God's words, however. Back to Acts 16. You ever hear of a flight attendant? A flight attendant? What does that mean? Usually it's a female, but it's a male as well. What do they do? They attend to our needs. They wait. The moment that we press that little light in our, in our airplane, that attendant comes to us and says, yes. What is she doing as Paul's preaching? She's saying, yes. Yes. Is that for me? Is that what I need to do? What, what, what is it that I'm supposed to do? That is how she's reacting. She's not sitting back going, I don't like that. Well, that's old English. Well, that's how they do it in America, but that's not how I do it here. See, she's listening and she's attending. She's hanging on every word. She's willing to do whatever God says. Um, let's go back. Let me show you something. Go to 2 Corinthians. You're in Acts. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why did she need her heart opened? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Remember Amazing Grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Well, listen to the words. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Who's the God of this world? Satan. He was invited in, was welcome to, uh, uh, to take over after Adam sinned, and he's become the God of this world. He runs this world like his own playground, and the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Why did she need her heart open? Because she was blind to who God is and to her, her own condition. Uh, as long as we stay blind towards God's son, Satan is happy. You can be religious or you can be atheist. doesn't matter to Satan. You can be the most religious zealot. You can do whatever you want just as long as you don't look to Jesus Christ and follow him. If only people would just accept in their heart their condition and they'd repent and believe what Jesus did for them is enough, then you'd experience uh, Ephesians, sorry, Isaiah 118 that says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be as wool. So she attends to those words. She's hanging on every word, and that's where she believes. You know, when, when you start just believing this book, all of a sudden you, you realize, I'm going to follow Jesus. You don't have to pray a fancy prayer. You don't, you don't have to do anything. Baptism means nothing to your salvation. 
What matters is, will you believe? Will you trust? I'll use a stupid example. When I was 18, I had a pain in my abdomen and I thought it was indigestion. So I had an entire pack of Rennies and I'm popping that all day long, didn't fix anything. About 11 o'clock at night, I called the hospital and I said, I can't get any satisfaction, can't get anything. Can I, uh, to take away this pain, can I come in? They says, come on in, we'll take a look at you. I walked in like this and within five or minutes, they had me out, flat out on a table and this 24 year old doctor looking at me, telling me he's gonna have to operate, gonna have to remove my appendix. And I looked at that 24 year old baby and I said, how many of these have you done? He said, about 12. I said, yeah, I'm going to be lucky 13. Thank you very much. <laughs> what did I have to do? I had to choose. Am I going to trust him or am I going to die on the table? I had to trust him. That's faith. And there's going to have to come a time in your life where you stop trusting people and churches and yourself and you decide, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ who earned our trust, who did everything just right. He patiently put up with us. He put up with politics. He put up with with fickle people, and he allowed this entire world to crucify him and got up three days later and says, now will you follow me? He earned my trust. And that entire house just believed. And it changed him. Her whole house, did you read that? Let's look there in verse 15, Acts 16, 15. When she was baptized and her household, so all of her servants, they believed, they all got baptized, and then she begs them, she beseeches them, she says, stay, and what does she want to have? Church. After she got baptized, she said, could you guys stay around and have church for a little while? She started a church in her home. This is her first church service, and it was in her home. That's pretty cool. Hmm. This is the beginning of the Philippian church because one woman listened. Well, let's take it back because one man preached. Let's take it back because Paul was willing to go wherever God led him. The church at Philippi was begun because Paul said, Lord, wherever you want me to go, what will thou have me to do? Isn't that amazing? A new church was born in Philippi. But don't, don't forget, no good deed will go unpunished. Whenever you try and you do something for God, anytime you try to do something spiritual or you try to do something right, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a war that starts as a spiritual warfare. Look in verse 16 now. It came to pass as we went to prayer. We had a certain Lydia, a certain woman named Lydia. Well, now we have a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. Now, divination means she's a fortune teller. She's, uh, you know, she can tell the future. Um, she manipulates, you know, can tell you the, where the stock markets are going. She can tell you the future of politics. She had a spirit of divination. She had a voice in her head. And she met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, fortune telling. Verse 17. Now the same, now I've had it. Watch this. I've had the same thing happen. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God which show unto us the way of salvation. So I've had the same experience where I go into an estate and I'm door knocking and I'm handing out a gospel leaflet and I get some kids coming up behind me and they say, what are you doing? And I says, I'm handing out these leaflets. Can we help out? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Let us, let us help, let us help. Okay, all right, you go find somebody, hand that too. So they run off and it says, here, you need God. And they're going around having fun, all right. And then as I go to another house, they come up behind me and they start mocking me. And he's talking about Jesus. 
oh, he's one of those those fanatics or whatever they would say. It was just he would just go on and on and on. And I'm like, uh, I'll be back. <laughs> Seems like you're rid of these kids. And they messed it up. They got involved. They 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 turned what was supposed to be me just giving the gospel, telling the story, inviting somebody out to church. It turns into a nightmare. I kind of have to say, shoo, kids, get away. Here you got this demon-possessed woman walking around behind Paul and Silas as they're trying to tell people about Jesus, going, these are the prophets of the Most High God. They're telling us about how to be saved. And it's ruining, it's, soy, it's, it's souring the moment. What are they going to do? Well, it's time to go back to prayer. All right? Look back there in verse 16, and it came to pass as we went to pray. So whenever there's a thing where you sense the, time, the need to pray, what should you do? Pray. And that's when a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, it'd be nice if she was actually telling from a good heart, but she's mocking, verse 18, and this she did many days. Paul's putting up with it. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit. Now, notice that. Circle those three words. Does he say to the woman? Did you notice that? No. He's talking to something in the woman, something that's behind the woman. She, he said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. Isn't that amazing? They've just spent some time in prayer and they're under demonic attack. You say, how can that be that I'm trying to do right and everything goes wrong and, and there's a, a demonic oppression? Well, Paul did something that you and I need to learn how to do, and that is to fight spiritually, not physically. Take your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. See, this is how Christians fight. Paul focuses attention on the spirit behind the fight. That spirit of persecution. He wrestled with the spirit in that woman. Go to Ephesians 6 and verse 10. It's called spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the plans, the attacks of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Would you remember at least that part and say, all right, I had an argument with my wife again. I got to stop that because I'm not supposed to wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, principal powers, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. How many times do you speak of your problem? Oh, if you only knew what I had to put up with at home. Oh, if you knew what I have to put up with at, at, at work. Oh, you don't know what it's like. You're talking about your problem instead of the spirit of your problem. That woman. You said it wrong. That spirit. And it's probably, that woman's probably talking about that man. <laughs> he does something that is necessary, and that is he commanded the spirit. He rebuked the spirit because he uses a power greater than his own name. Can you imagine him saying, in my name and in my power, I command, no, I would do, it would get nowhere. He uses a name that overwhelms the spirit. Folks, let me tell you, that's why we sing hymns here, and that's why the name Jesus is spoken as much as possible, because that name makes demons tremble. 
My name is nothing to the devil. Your name means nothing to demons. But that name, Jesus, means something to them. He used the name of Jesus. He didn't use the name of Peter or Mary or Padre Pio. He spoke that name and he says, in under the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, come out of that woman. And you need to be able to do the same thing whenever there is a spirit at work against your marriage, spirit at work against your sanity where you just want to just explode. When there's a spirit that's robbing you of your joy, when it's attacking your children, when it is interfering with your relationship with friends and with coworkers, you need to use Christ's name as power against that and say, I'm not going to argue with that person. I'm going to now go to prayer against that spirit. And I'm going to ask Jesus to defeat that spirit and to restore joy and to restore the relationship. Whatever you have to do, I pray the Holy Spirit would humble me and rebuke that demon. Because you and I have no power. And yet, what does Jesus say when he rises from the dead? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Rely on it. Now, he commands that spirit, and you record back there in Acts chapter 16, it says that spirit leaves. Uh, he, the spirit, came out the same hour, but the battle's not over. <laughs> Look at verse 19. Um, you know, you get one thing fixed and something else goes wrong. Uh, before I, I, well, yeah, let me, let me uh, keep going here. The battle is not over. In... Verse 19, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them unto the marketplace under the rulers. So they've been arrested and brought them to the magistrates down to Anglesey Street, saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. They're upsetting all of us. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. We're Romans here. We're not those Christians. We're not Jews. We're not these fanatics. Verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had made had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. What are they going to do? They're suffering, folks. Uh... Everyone now knew that there was a power greater than the Roman and the Greek gods. See, this woman would, would get into a trance and would talk to some demon and some, some idol and would be able to tell the future and would, would uh, uh, influence the course of history by her great powers. And now there's a greater power called Jesus that has just defeated that spirit in her. And so now everybody's like saying, why buy this idol from those guys when I can believe on Jesus for free? So all of a sudden, people aren't buying the idols anymore. They're not going down to the, the, the temples. They're not going and worshiping all these false gods. People are listening to, uh, to Paul. And the people who made money off of religion got very upset. You know how to make court go into an uproar? uproar? Start helping close some pubs because of the money. Start making it so religion doesn't make money anymore. Everyone knew there was a greater power. And that's when, look at, I, I have to point this out. Look in verse 19, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains were gone. She, they, she was a slave. These men were the pimps of that woman. They were using her. 
you know, if you've ever met anybody who had mental problems and emotional problems and demon problems, stuff like that, the last thing you want is for somebody taking advantage of that person, amen? And yet these owners were making money off of this woman. And not anymore. Things have changed, amen? And so they arrest Paul and Silas and they beat them. Verse 22, they rent off their clothes and they commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody with whelps on their back. But I'd hate to show you a proper picture. But this mob, I mean, mob rule is one of the most dangerous things where a mob cries out, whip them, beat them till they pass out. Isn't that what they did to Jesus? They cry out, crucify him. Yeah, mob rule really is a good thing, isn't it? So they humiliate Paul and Silas. They whip them and mock them, and then they imprison them in verse 24. Uh, but why? I mean, why, why are they so angry against Paul and Silas? Well, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a reason. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John 16, 33. In simple terms, you might as well, you're going to need, if you're going to live the Christian life, you're going to have to expect to suffer. You're going to find it hard being a Christian in this world. You're going to find that people oppose you. And you're just going to have trouble. Look at John 16 and verse 33, the last verse in chapter 16. It says, these things, Jesus says, have I spoken unto you that in me, you might have peace. You're going to find it in me. You're not going to find it in the world. Because in the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So what's he doing? He's preparing them, saying, eh, when you follow me, you're going against the flow. It's going to be hard. But that's all right. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. You don't have to turn there. But yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you are going to have troubles. But why? Why were these two Christian men suffering when they're trying to do right, when they're delivering people from demonic oppression, from blindness, from, from depression, from drugs, from drink? Why are they suffering? Well, there is a demonic hatred of Christ here. That's this world. These four men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, have brought good news from Macedonia, talking about Jesus being alive, Jesus coming back and judging this world. And amazingly, the people had an unnatural hatred towards Jesus. I, I tell you, I don't understand it. I mean, all you have to do, you can talk about anything, but if you say, you know, I love Jesus, something happens just in the ethos around you. It's like, why? There's an unnatural hatred of that name. Well, people don't even know why they get angry. I have sat at Christmas in my own grandparents' home, and everybody's talking about everything they've been doing all year in school and work and college and stuff like this. And then as soon as I remember my grandmother saying, Craig, you're going to some Bible college? And I was at the time. She says, what do they, what do they, what do you do there? I pulled out my Bible, opened it up. <laughs> and I said, well, first they teach us that we're all sinners. And that we're doomed if we don't. Face that sin and cry out to one name, Jesus Christ. And you can just see that 
anger and that, and they're all stuck there listening to me, just give them the gospel. It's an unnatural hatred. If I said, oh, we're learning about transcendental meditation. Oh, tell us more. <laughs> if I said, oh, we're learning about new yoga moves that relax the stress, I'd have their audience for two hours. But the moment you say Jesus, there's an unnatural demonic hatred there. That's why we don't retaliate. That's why when people get upset at us, we don't get upset back. Why? Because there's a spirit there. Second reason why we're going to have troubles is because people are getting saved. Remember, Lydia got saved, amen? Now a second woman had gotten saved and was freed from demonic possession, and the world was upset. They don't believe, they don't care what you believe as long as you don't influence anybody. Leave the influencing to Hollywood, right? Leave the influencing to the internet. That's what they want. But if you try to influence people and you start saving people, I had one, one wife phone me up years ago after her husband got saved and stopped drinking. And on Wednesday night, he was at church. And on Sunday morning, he was at church. On Sunday night, he was at church. And his wife rang me up and said, what have you done with my husband? <laughs> I said, what's the problem? Is, is, he, is he violent? Is he mean? Is he angry? No. No, he's not. But, but, but he doesn't go drinking anymore. And, and, and I, I, he's, he's not the same guy I married. And I said, okay, but is he a better man? Well, I don't. Uh, but I don't, I don't trust him. I said, well. Why don't you come and find out what happened to him? Ask him what happened because, well, no, I liked him when he was drinking because at least I knew what to expect. I would, you, I, you wouldn't believe it, but that's exactly her words. I liked him better when he was drinking because I knew what to expect. And she didn't want to, to find out. It was, whoo, it was rough for a little while. Just realize when people get saved, it upsets the world because they don't know that you're really a better person and that for the first time in your life, a man loves his wife sacrificially, not just physically. Amen. And then a woman submits to her husband because of Jesus, not because of his authority or his power or his brutalism. Finding out that kids love coming home because there's peace. There's no more fighting. No argument. When Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, people are terrified of that. They need to see a lot of it before they'll start to trust it. And folks, the reason why we're going to go through trouble is because this world is not our home. Job found that out. You know, the devil can't hurt your soul anymore. Hallelujah. He cannot damn you. There's no more condemnation than who are in Christ Jesus. But he'll try to destroy everything else. And the reason why we have troubles is to affect and reach someone else with the gospel. This is priceless. You see, after in Acts chapter 16, we got to finish. Verse 24 says, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. That means they're, they're, they're treated like they're the worst criminals. They're put in the deepest, darkest, most secure prison cell. And then they lock their feet into stocks so they can't even get up. They're sitting in excrement. They're being walked over by rats and vermin and bugs, and they're left there. Talk about the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Suffering. Why? Because they're about to meet the Macedonian man, and they wouldn't have met him if they weren't in prison. Guess who the Macedonian man is? That Philippian jailer. 
And so sometimes you and I are hit from all sides and humbled and find ourselves backed into a corner and we're just defeated because there we will meet somebody to give the gospel to. You got, you got to stay tuned because I got to stop here. Look at verse 25. I'm going to talk about this midnight song of the Christian next week. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Here is the power of praise. We're going to talk about that next week. In that prison, in those prison walls and in that prison cell was something so marvelous about to happen that you just have to, you just have to sit there and soak it in and realize God put them right there and only there would they meet that Macedonian man. But I got to leave it for next week. You can read it for yourself if you want, by the way. Keep reading there. We're going to learn about the midnight song of the Christian. Even when things are the worst of the worst, we got to stop complaining, folks. What do we need to start doing? Singing. Let me finish with a thought. How to get your heart fixed like Lydia's. First thing you need to do is listen to the word of God. It's like an x-ray machine. Every time you read this Bible, it's examining your heart. You know what the problem is with most readers of the Bible today is? They don't look at, it, look at it like a mirror. That's you, folks. Until you see yourself as Lydia, you'll never get saved. Until you see yourself as, as the wicked, most vile person, desperately wicked, until you see yourself in the pages of this book in trouble with God, you'll never know the joy of being a child of God. Listen to God's word like it was written to you about you, like Lydia did. And then accept your, your condition. Accept your condition. You know, if, uh, if we've, we've read it where the Bible is like a mirror. You come and guys are different than girls. When a woman passes in front of a mirror, she'll spend 10 minutes there trying to fix everything. When a guy passes by the mirror, he glances, says, perfect, and walks on by. <laughs> But don't do that with the word of God. You know, ladies, if, you, if, if we men spend as much time in the Bible as you do in front of the mirror, we'd have revival. Amen. Accept your condition. Yield to God's hand. When, when a surgeon says we have to operate, what do you have to do? Yield. I mean, I've been on the operating table a couple of times, and it's the coldest table ever. Like they just pulled it out of the freezer. <laughs> the room is freezing. They get to wear extra clothes. You've got almost nothing on, but you have to, you can do nothing. And when it comes time to get saved, you know what you do? Nothing. Yield and let the Holy Spirit humble you and then save you. And if you want to have a heart like Lydia, leave a different person. You'll, you may try and go back to the drink. You may try and go back to the old ways. And it just won't be there. The buzz won't be there. Start living the new life. That's why we get baptized. We don't get baptized to wash away our sin. We get baptized to tell the world, I'm following Jesus. My sins have been washed away. I'm now following him. And I'm making a, making a statement here publicly. By the way, with every victory, dear Christian, expect troubles. If you're ever going to sit down and read your Bible, the phone will ring. If you're ever going to head out soul winning, the car won't start. If you ever want to have devotions with your kids, somebody will throw up right when you open the Bible. You have to clean it up for the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and then you have to go to work. If ever, hi, buddy. 
If ever you're trying to finish a message, a kid's going to show up. But that's okay. Expect troubles. And ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you. Next week we're going to learn we need to practice our singing. We need to practice our praising because that's the only answer. If you believe God, you can praise him. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Mm. Father, as we bow our hearts this morning, most important thing we need to do is let you expose our hearts for what they are. Yeah, I was saved 42 years ago, but boy, this heart gets hard still. I, I, I have problems with pride. I let things influence me, pull me away from you, God, and I need to let you constantly expose the things that are wrong in my heart. And I do it because the first time was the best where you washed away all that sin and you forgave me, gave me a new name, written down in heaven. God, you gave me joy and peace. You gave me the Holy Spirit of God, and I don't want to ever miss that. So, Lord, right now, I pray as we've seen you open the heart of Lydia and you freed the life of that demon-possessed woman, would you do the same in our midst? If we were honest, Lord, if we were to actually sit down and evaluate our own hearts, we could probably fill up a whole page of areas where our own hearts are messed up. And there's no way on earth, not in a thousand lifetimes, could we fix them all. We need a Savior. Lord, I got you as my Savior 42 years ago. It was, it was so simple, so important. Lord, you're not finished with me yet. You're still working on me. I know you're still working on us. God, I, hope, I pray that if, if there is a hardness in our hearts, if there is a, 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 just a, a blockage between us and our walk with you, God, please open that heart up again. Clear it out. Restore in us the joy of our salvation. Create in us a clean heart, oh God. Because Lydia got something. It was worth keeping, and I pray, God, we would also want to keep what you gave us vibrant and alive. And if there's anybody in this room, and there probably is, who've never been born again, never been saved, they've, they've, they've battled their heart a thousand times, battled temptations and sins and failed. God, I ask right now, you would speak to their heart and tell them they can trust you. They can let you, with the word of God, the spirit of God, do what no other surgeon could ever do. You can wash and save them from their sin. And Lord, I pray, God, that you just take mm, freedom we've got in Christ and it would shine, it would show. Even we want to have all the victory dance. We want to just have nothing but success. But even when we're, humiliated and at a loss and in trouble. Lord, teach us to sing and praise because that's not where we're going to stay. This is only a short time, Lord. We're in the victory. We've got the victory. I pray, God, we would live it. Please help us to live it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal.